You're listening to episode 157 of Flick Fights, the official podcast of FlickChart.com. Hello, Flick Charters, and welcome to Flick Fights, the official Flick Chart podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Chase. I'm Hannah Kiefer. And I'm Doug Van Hollen. And we're about to start shouting at each other over which films are the best of all time through a series of movie matchups head to head. And as we battle it out and decide which is the better film, our chart grows and refines to reflect all of our collective taste in movies. On this episode, we're going all in on matchups. No title fight, no guest, just matchups. So buckle in, because we are about to hit the Thunderdome. Two men, hand to hand. No jury, no appeal, no parole. Two men enter, one man leaves. Weapons. Anything is possible. Chance decides. Thunderdome. How do I get in there? That's easy. Pick a fight. Okay, first up we have the Avengers up against the Wedding Singer. So this is the first Avengers film uh, from 2012, directed by Joss Whedon. And Wedding Singer is from 1998, starring Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, uh, which has since gone on to become uh, a Broadway musical um, mm-hmm. Pretty successful one, actually. I don't know what the Avengers would be like as a Broadway musical, but I imagine it would be uh, <laughs> a little less exciting uh, than the films are. Um, Avengers was very well received uh, when it came out, mainly because it succeeded uh, where everyone kind of expected it to be a complete cluster. Um, like it, it should have been just awful uh, trying to cram all these characters together into one movie, but somehow. It ended up working out all right. Um, And then Wedding Singer, I think, is actually really quite good. Uh, Good script, uh, good characters. Adam Sandler is not incredibly annoying. Uh, He's he's actually pretty endearing. And Drew Barrymore is uh, pitch perfect uh, as the the female role uh, to counterpart uh, Adam Sandler. And um, I'm having a difficult time deciding between these two movies as to which one I prefer. I imagine The Wedding Singer is actually probably higher on my chart. Um, what do you guys think? Which one of these is better? This this is a tough call for me. These are two movies that I, I have a lot of friends who just absolutely adore them. And I, they both were, were disappointing to me. The Avengers, I I actually had pretty, fairly high expectations for. I'd enjoyed most of the Avengers movies up until that point, the individual movies, and I love Joss Whedon's work so much. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he does so well is ensemble building and ensemble films. And so I was I was super on board for it before, <laughs> when everybody else was expecting it to be terrible. And then it came out, and it didn't. 
it just didn't hit me. It didn't, it didn't feel like a Whedon script. It didn't feel like there was, uh, like there was any actual ensemble happening. It felt like it was several different individual movies about people. And, mm-hmm. and I wanted more than anything, I want to see, uh, I, I wanted to see them together and like helping each other out and not just like split off into groups of two or three. And so I, I just, I just found it, it was fine. Like I didn't dislike it, but I was, very underwhelmed and was very much in the minority on that but I was I was I was hoping for a lot more uh given what I what I loved about the the writer director and what I loved about the previous movies and it kind of got very bland for me um Wedding Singer is fine it's probably the least annoying Adam Sandler comedy (laughs) Uh, but I'm still I'm still never going to be able to be on board with him uh, with him in a in a comedy movie as a romantic lead. Like he continues to play this kind of character who I don't want to get with the girl because <laughs> I think she deserves better. And right. and and I think I think, it, you know, this is probably the most endearing he's going to be. And it still doesn't quite work for me. I still like her. I still like the plot. I like the musical a lot <laughs> because it doesn't have Adam Sandler in it. But uh but yeah, these are both these are both movies I was I I had high hopes for because I thought that maybe they would they would step out of what I was expecting, and then they really didn't. And so I guess I'm going with Avengers because I think that maybe if I went back watching it again and knowing what it was, that I'd be able to appreciate what it did give us. So I I guess I'm voting Avengers, but it's not it's not a strong vote one way or the other. Yeah, maybe Adam Sandler the the character in Wedding Singer works despite him some somewhat so i think so mm-hmm. yeah i think i think Why? with anybody else playing him i would like it just fine right <laughs> that's a good point yeah i mean i think the uh, wedding singer it uh I, I found it leaning a little too heavily on its dedication to being a period piece <laughs> about the 80s and the library a lot of sort of just blatant jokes about how funny the 80s were inherently right which I mean, I I get that, and I, I respect I respect a film for trying to accurately represent a recent past, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a little bit difficult. Um, but uh, but I mean, yeah, the the char- the bones of the characters are are strong. Um, that's about all that I can say for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for the uh, the film the film that he made the next year, Big Daddy, f- was for me a, the clear winner of the uh sincere adam sandler uh subgenre hmm. and i think i think i may have seen wedding singer after big daddy or something like that like i may have done it in the wrong order where it just seemed like such a warm-up act for the warmth and the sincerity that big daddy was able to achieve um just because it wasn't some silly love story like it was like a really big daddy was like a serious drama about about being a being a crappy father, uh, which <laughs> you know is uh, that's interesting to watch a clown, you know, to watch Pagliacci really try to you know wrap his wrap his arms around. Yeah. What what Hannah said about the Avengers being very splintered is totally accurate, and and something that I thought was, you know, I thought might have been its strength. And especially in as they've made some more Avengers movies, 
you start to realize like, oh, this is always going to be the pattern. It's going to, mm-hmm. they're going to figure out what the sub teams need to be so they can go complete the six mini missions mm-hmm. yeah. so that they can then come back together at the end. It's just in some sort of ostensible, right. um, you know, mm-hmm. mega fight. And the, uh, and I actually enjoyed that more in Infinity War than I did in the Avengers, maybe mm-hmm. because I was expecting it or maybe because it seemed like, it seems so much more intentional. It seemed project managed in yeah. Infinity War, where it is in the Avengers, it's it was like really confusing and chaotic to sign because to you know to figure out that okay, you know Iron Man and Thor are going to go to you know talk to Loki, and then you know the Hulk is doing his own thing, and you know the, the, all, all this the, the way that those decisions got made um, were chaotic, probably like accurately chaotic, um, but less less thrilling somehow. Uh, I guess I guess maybe they're being true to the source material. I, I don't really know how uh, the Avengers typically work as a unit in the comics, whether they always split up into these mini teams. I, I think it's pretty... I, I'm just talking... Yeah, I, I, I think the Avengers are, are pretty widely varied in, in comic book world. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of like even who are the Avengers and, and yeah. what's right. the makeup of the group and is it even a group? It's, it's all very kind of... Right. <laughs> fractured yeah that's true i mean there's also something to be said for it maybe it's inherently uncinematic to have six really powerful personalities in a single room trying to accomplish a single thing right you know like maybe Mm -hmm. maybe it was the stronger cinematic choice for them to break it up like this uh, I don't know. It's just something fun to think about. I'm just talking about these movies. Uh, I'm choosing the Avengers. Okay. Uh, you know, I, that that's definitely my choice here. Uh, I definitely, you know, there's more more love in my heart for it. Yeah, there aren't many scenes that, that where they all appear all together for very long. Like there's a scene where they're all trying to pick up uh, the hammer. I remember that. That's kind of a yeah. A, well, that a was that was in laughs kind a, of scene. Age of Age of Ultron, right? Yeah. yeah. And then there's you know like the. The, the money shot for the trailer where the camera spins mm-hmm. around them as they're preparing to mm-hmm. fight off the, the bad guys at the end. Well, it's also, it, it just t- tactically, it's it would be a weak choice for them to all be in a single place at right. a single time. So that may just be a military thing. And like in, what was it, Civil War? I mean, they're all kind of together for that, for the fight, but... Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what wonder, made it so thrilling. Yeah, it makes me wonder how differently it would have been tackled if instead of if the if the Avengers movie came before all the splintered off stories like if they hadn't been established so strongly in the cinema universe in the sense that they are all already kind of seen as the main character right. uh, it makes me wonder how whether the whether an Avengers that then splintered off into different stories would have looked different in in, in trying to to be a little bit more ensemble and togethery instead of trying to make sure every person got a good chunk of, of alone time, which they needed to do by mm-hmm. bringing people up. I don't know. I'm just curious. Right. Yeah. That's a super good point. You know, it's interesting. You think when you think about it, like would the fantastic four work as individual solo stories? I don't know that it would, <laughs> you know, like no. the, they're not compelling enough individually to, to carry their own story, but somehow that they, you know, together they make, well, I, I guess it's arguable since we've had a lot of bad Fantastic Four movies, but um, maybe just those characters aren't as good. Um, just plain, strictly aren't as good. Sure. Um, yeah, maybe. Well, uh, I guess Avengers is going to win over the Wedding Singer, but for 
for my take, I think I think I would take Wedding Singer over the Avengers. Uh, there are other Avengers slash Captain America movies that I like more than Avengers. Um, and while I thought it was good, it wasn't great. Especially like the first act felt like really kind of slow and, and mm. didn't really get going. Uh, and then the ending is kind of just bonkers uh, for, for no apparent <laughs> reason. Like it, that, it comes out of nowhere. There's space aliens and I don't know. It just gets kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. What's the opposite of Deus Ex Machina? It's <laughs> right. like it's like Diablo Ex Machina. <laughs> right, it's like right. suddenly yeah. like the, the ultimate threat. It comes yeah. out of freaking nowhere. <laughs> Literally out of nowhere. Right. In the sky. <laughs> Um, all right, so Avengers is going to beat Wedding Singer. All right, next up we have Top Secret from 1984 up against The Others. So Top Secret is a parody movie, uh, much in the airplane vein, uh, the Zucker Brothers uh, stuff. Um, and uh, The Others is a... Interesting little paranormal haunted house uh, movie with Nicole Kidman uh, from 2001. Um, it's been ages since I've seen Top Secret. My, my memory of it is slim to none. Um, I, I remember it, you know, being funny and being about spies and uh, all that stuff. But um, yeah, I don't I don't remember much in terms of plot or characters. So um, my my. Uh, my instinct is just to go right to the others and say that it's better because it, I, I, I do remember the others being quite good, both visually and from a story perspective. And Nicole Kimmon was uh, quite good in it. Um, good special effects, if I recall, um, real good sense of mood and, and, and then the, the house being almost a character of its own. Uh, I don't know. What, what am I forgetting about top secret? Is it, is it more hilarious than I, than I, than I, recall uh, it has moments okay. uh, it has some jokes <laughs> um <laughs> i would hope that has some but i mean there, there there are films of its genre that just don't have jokes right. you know like <laughs> they don't actually have effective comic devices mm -hmm. um this has a couple just because of the you know the the zucker abrams uh magic sauce like it's almost inevitable but i saw this after i'd already seen all the hot shots and the naked guns mm. and airplane and police squad. And, uh, you know, and even like spy hard, which is <laughs> a, you know, like that's like a pale, uh, you know, a, a pale comparison, uh, to, to some of those other ones, but it's, um, but it, somehow maybe because there was more dryness and sincerity in those other films that, you know, that Top Secret was lacking a little bit. Like, you know, Top Secret was a little bit zany. It was a little bit Kentucky Fried movie from that era mm -hmm. uh, where it was just like, like really kind of uh, zany type, type, type humor. It wasn't for me. Um, it's not bad. People should see it, especially if you're Zucker Abrams completists like I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is an important part of the canon. You know, Val Kilmer does a really good job with some really strange material. Right. Um, Kilmer's in it. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, debut role, apparently. Mm. Oh, was it really? I'm not sure I knew that. Right. Um, the the others is much more memorable. It is a much better example of its genre. Uh, it, you know, it 
it, it's sort of it, it's it's very much um it, it's very much of this era of uh you know right around the uh Right around the the I see dead people era of horror <laughs> films, where things were getting really artistic and quiet, right? Um, mm-hmm. In in horror, in in a very gothic sense, and this was uh, clearly trying to compete with uh, you know the, the raft of films that that came out right around the the turn of the century. There, I think it's great. I think it's beautiful. Um, I the twists are okay. Uh, but that's not why you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the it's interesting that you know that they brought up the that they in, kind of introduced into popular consciousness that the disease that the children have or allegedly have, mm-hmm. where they get burned by sunlight. That's a real thing, uh, and the the uh, the film shows what it would be like to be a mother in such. A situation, and I think that it, as a analysis of motherhood, I think that that may be its most valuable, uh, its most most valuable thing it brings to the table. So, yeah, the others for me. I do like both of these. I uh, top secret. I saw first. I saw the last third of it on a TV in a hotel room one year. And, perfect venue. Perfect yeah, venue. And enjoyed it enough that I was like, I should seek that out when I when I get back <laughs> home. And I did, and I liked it. Um it's it's pretty solid. It's got enough jokes that it that it works for me. I some of them that I really, really love. And uh there, there are at least a couple moments that I remember like just thing like cracking up. Like they just those little tiny moments that like catch me by surprise, little moments of ridiculous wordplay that are just so perfect and so well done. Um it's it's not it's not stellar, um, but it's it's pretty solid. Uh at least at least for me. And the others though is is far beyond just solid. It's it's really an excellent movie. It gets compared a lot to The Sixth Sense, both in terms of tone and time and and some similar plot lines and and I think it does an incredible job of uh, of like you said of setting setting a mood. It yeah. has this this very um, overwhelming sense of of. I don't even know. I don't, I, I don't even, it, it's gloomy is not quite the right word because there's a hopefulness to it and there's a compassion and a love to it coming from her, her mothering and her, her love for her kids. But mm-hmm. there's that interesting blend of, of love and darkness in is really fascinating to me. And I, I don't remember individual moments as much as I remember just so strongly how the film made me feel. Yeah. And the the sense I took away from it, and so I think I think it's an incredible piece just for that, if nothing else. And and but it's also a, a pretty solid plot. Nicole Kidman is good, and the acting is good, and it looks lovely. And so I'm I'm definitely voting for the others. But I think Top Secret is a lot of fun. It's not gory or bloody or anything like that either. It's it's kind of one of those yeah. like horror that that is almost purely psychological and and um mood induced not like jump scares and you know it would make a really nice uh a really nice stage piece actually mm-hmm. like this could be this kind mm-hmm. of thing that could be really effective as well as a play and not not a lot of movies can do that but that ha- this has that that intimacy and that focused attention on a single location and a single set of characters right. that 
that works just as well in the cinema, but it's one that I also think, oh, that could be that could be really interesting to see to see that focus on a stage as well. All right. The others is going to beat Top Secret. Next up, we have Dawn of the Dead from 1978 up against Hannibal from 2001. So Hannibal is the uh, is it a sequel or a prequel? I can't I can't remember. Sequel. It's Se- sequel to Silence. Yeah, but but does it actually? I guess it does take place after the the, mm-hmm. the stuff that happens uh, in Silence, right? Yes, okay. yes. She has she has she has known him for a while, and has, he has right. escaped. And, yeah. But, and Red Dragon is the one that's a prequel. Maybe I believe Correct. so. Okay, that's the one I haven't seen yet, um, but I think so. And then Dawn of the Dead is the uh, George Romero zombie film. Uh, it's, uh, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's, it's, uh, it's the mall uh, one. It's, it's, yeah, it's the mall one. It's iconic. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it is, it's Dawn of the Dead. Um, a Hannibal, uh, I thought was a real slow and real dark and kind of disturbing, as you would expect. Uh, a movie about Hannibal Lecter to be, but it was also kind of just not very uh, interesting uh, overall. I thought like it was, it just kind of left me wanting more, um, especially compared to silence, uh, which is just Mm -hmm. so much more gripping and so much uh, of a better movie. Um, So I I guess I'd have to go Dawn of the Dead. I mean, it's, it's certainly more iconic and, and more uh, lasting uh, of the two. Um, and has influenced countless other movies and, and TV shows and everything else out there. So, um, yeah, Dawn of the Dead gets my vote. But what what do you guys think? I'm absolutely voting Dawn of the Dead here as well. For It is a much scarier film about people eating people. <laughs> um, and it, Hannibal, as I watched it, especially in comparison to Silence of the Lambs, where where Hannibal himself was treated so with such interesting nuance and subtlety. And like, they didn't go super overboard on being gross just to be gross and to make you go. And Hannibal felt a little bit more like it was playing into that, um, into that just gross out horror without having a real stable psychological foundation for it. Yeah. And which was what was that's what made Silence of the Lambs terrifying. That's <laughs> the, the psychological stuff beneath it. And Hannibal kind of jumps over that and gets right to carving people up and eating them. And Dawn of the Dead, I think, is is pretty. I, I think it's really I think it's really creepy. I think it has this really fascinating um, the fact that they're that they're hanging out in this mall, but there are zombies everywhere (laughs) like not even just outside the mall but inside the mall as well there's this really fascinating undercurrent of the danger is all around us and in in a way that doesn't that doesn't even happen with as much with the the closed door locked room uh stuff with with um uh night of the living dead and i that's just so interesting to me and so i think it tackles its subject matter in a far more interesting way and uh, I'm I'm going to vote for Dawn of the Dead here because I wanted Hannibal to be so much better. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to, right? I mean, is that that the uh, at Silence of the Lambs uh, it just seemed like it it had kind of uh, stacked up the right notes to make this chord of this like perfect 
um, thrilling, horrifying mystery action film with a uh, with a female hero, and it just it, it, it obviously we wanted more of that. You know, it's it made sense that they you know in in the late '90s that they would want to kind of give us more of that because that's what everyone was asking for. Um, and that's not what Hannibal turned out to be. Like the the tone tonally, it violated a number of <laughs> a number of expectations, and it it just leans really heavily on a couple kind of pivotal, uh, horrifying things. Mm-hmm. Right? There's the pigs. And there's the brain, right. you know, and then like yep. we, we remember these things and, and okay. And then maybe there's the, the machine gun uh, scene with the, the baby, you know, like there's like a couple like real pivotal uh, parts that we remember and that we gasp at and that are, are examples of good filmmaking. But there isn't the pervasive sense of excitement and dread mm-hmm. that... Uh, that you know i guess it's i guess we can blame the director right like it's like it's a direction problem that that kind of overall the piece of art was trying to speak a different language um and i i think that i think that the worst thing that you can say about hannibal is that it it could have not been about hannibal lecter it could have been about it's just something else. They could have made it a non-canon <laughs> yeah. story mm-hmm. about some, you know, some other psychopath doing horrible things and some other FBI agent. And it would have kind of stood on its end. Yeah. And that's, that's fundamentally less interesting. Uh, I love Dawn of the Dead. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. I think that the, the, the most wonderful thing about Dawn of the Dead is how different it is from Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we talk sure. about violating tonal expectations. <laughs> really. <laughs> like it's, it's totally different. It's like probably the same universe, right? Like one, one imagines that it's sort of like taking place a couple, you know, a couple years after, you know, but within the same kind of apocalypse scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, we are furthering the, the discussion about the uh, sociological consequences, right? Like, I feel like it's a continuation of the same conversation, right. at least. Um, I think that, uh, I think that probably the thing that I like most about Dawn of the Dead is just how, is all the quiet moments, mm-hmm. you know, of these two people falling in love and of just getting by and, you know, you, you just, and, and not necessarily filled with tension, just filled with that kind of toxic boredom <laughs> that, that, you know, that, you know, if they are, if they're complacent, then they're going to trip up and someone's going to get killed. And that's kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not tense. You're just like really sad. I just think that it's, it's a, a, one of those, one of those masterpieces of film. I think that's why Romero has so many fans because it seems like all of his movies are essentially just like framing devices for him to tell a, a bigger story, like a, a more like mm-hmm. uh, metaphorical story I, on top of the, the sort of you know, baseline yeah. plot of zombies and humans. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and no matter if the movies are, are good or not, it's like he had <laughs> always tried to take that formula and, and twist it and spin it up and make something new with it every time. So, you know, which is what science fiction and yeah, which is what science fiction and horror was always supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like every every film about aliens or vampires or Frankenstein 
or werewolves was 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 essentially a framing device to examine human nature. Right. Right. Sure. And we, I think that as a culture, we've strayed from that. Well, and I mean, even just looking at this matchup, compare it to Hannibal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what is what is Hannibal is not Silence of the Lambs. I think was was had some stuff in there about you know how how we view each other and how we mm-hmm. view humanity and civilization Mm -hmm. and Hannibal is like nope we just think (laughs) eating brains is gross so let's that's what we're saying about humanity eating brains is gross the end (laughs) all right Dawn of the Dead is going to beat Hannibal you know it's supposed to be very fatty tasting I would imagine with a little bit of garlic you know okay next up we have The Devil Wears Prada from 2006 up against Dr. No from 1962. Dr. No is one of the Connery Bond films. Uh, and Devil Wears Prada is Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway um, in a tale about fashion and moving up in the world, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it uh, succinctly. Um, so... Uh, one of you give give me a, a recap on Doctor No because all the Bond movies of that era kind of <laughs> s- slip together in my mind. I cannot help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're kind of meant to. <laughs> yeah, so this is the one about Jamaica, where he goes to okay. Jamaica, and there's something. And the, the most interesting thing is that he has to join up with his CIA counterpart. Uh, and uh, we get to see him uh, deal with Felix Leiter for the first time. And that always makes me feel a little bit proud as an American that they, it actually is a competent CIA agent in a couple of these <laughs> James Bond films. Right. Has to team up with the dirty Americans. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't know if I remember enough about Dr. No to give it its its due course here. Um who who's the main antagonist? Doctor uh, No. His name is Doctor No. <laughs> Doctor No. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I'm reading <laughs> here. A tra- like, Chinese I'm, German I'm, criminal I'm scientist. To, I'm trying to think about like the 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 yeah. character though, like the the actor. He's, yeah, he, he's sadly he's sadly uh, not very memorable. Okay. He's also played play, he's also <laughs> played sense. by a white man. So you know, <laughs> perhaps for, forgettably, you know, justifiably, he, right? Played by a Canadian. Huh. Yeah. Um. I got I got a lot of nothing for Doctor No. Then um, I think Devil Wears Prada is actually not terrible. Um, you'd expect it to be um, just based on the face of it, but um, it's, I thought it was actually pretty pretty decent, uh, pretty uh, endearing with how how honest it felt in terms of the the characters. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. What do you guys think, though? Is am I remembering Devil Wears Prada being better than it is, or 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 what? No, you're not misremembering it. Okay. I think I think that it's very it's very good. It's it's a very well made film, mm-hmm. um, which is like it sounds like I'm I'm damning with faint praise, but like it's it's sure. actually execute it executes its plot and its characters very well. It's shot very beautifully, and um, you know Meryl Streep does not. It doesn't turn the Meryl Streep character into some hideous villain. Right. Um, I think that it, it handles her with uh, with good nuance. I, fundamentally, it's a film about the quarter-life crisis. It's right. sort of about Anne Hathaway <laughs> trying to figure out 
like, great, I'm done with college. Like, what do I do now? And then there's this weird trial by fire that that fate throws her way. It's 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 an interesting it's an interesting way to examine uh, that time in someone's life. Um, it's not the most interesting way it's ever been done on film. I think that it's the film's really impressed with its own uh, it, it, its own with its own world of fashion, which probably isn't actually like that. And even if it is like that, it's not cinematic. Right. Sort of like, oh, look at all these clothes. You know, like it, it, it sort of, it, there's too many, there's too many gaps between the world that it's building and what is exciting to a lay person. Like it doesn't really fill in all those gaps, all those gaps. Um, I, as for Dr. No, I kind of agree with you. Like it's not, it's not one of the early bonds that is extremely memorable to me either. I think that there are, uh, there are certain moments that in this film perhaps makes it the kind of quintessential uh, Connery Bond film um, just in his attitude and how he understand you know, how he un- understands the character at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, so I'm going to vote for it sort of as one of those, one of those default votes uh, for me, but um, right. it's not, uh, it doesn't have, it doesn't have a lot to distinguish itself, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so I am doing a quick look on my chart, not to find out where it lands, but just to confirm I have seen Dr. No, <laughs> uh, because I suddenly was like, oh, no, I don't actually know if I have. But apparently I have. So that's good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, clearly I don't remember Dr. No very well. I am not super enamored with the Connery Bond, Connery Bonds. Um, they they just they very much all blend together. And I don't I don't particularly care about individual pieces of any of them and devil wears prada is fine it's i i bet if this these are ones that i both watched one time quite a while back and i'm trying to think in my mind which one i would be more likely to enjoy if i watched again and i Mm. bet it would be devil wears prada but i just remember being very underwhelmed by it like i thought it was another one that all my friends went and saw and they all loved it and and I like Anne Hathaway and I like Meryl Streep. And I just I just couldn't get a handle on the the uh, tone is not quite right, but the, the emotional arc of the movie mm. and and couldn't quite figure out what I was supposed to be feeling at any given moment about yeah. about some of these characters. And uh, and that just and that felt like it wasn't a deliberate ambiguity. It felt like it was a misstep that either that something was being lost in communication. And so I, I bet I'd like it better. So I think I'm going to vote for it, <laughs> but I, but I really, these are both movies that made next to no impression on me. And so those, those more than anything, it's much harder to choose those <laughs> against each other on my chart than two I love and two I hate so much harder to be like, these are two that I have no feelings right. about yeah, at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> The ones that are that are hazy are are definitely the harder matchups for sure. Yeah. So so, who is your favorite Bond? Since we're on the on the Bond film here. Well, I I okay. So, I haven't seen a lot of them. I the two my two favorite Bond movies at this point are I like uh, I I like Skyfall, but I don't like Casino Royale, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's not necessarily just Craig. And I just watched The Spy Who Loved Me and enjoyed it a lot. But that's the only more I've seen. Right. But that makes me think that I maybe should check more of that out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I really I enjoyed that. I like it when they're when they're silly and over the top. Yes. And and uh, Connery's always feel a little bit well. They're they're in moments of that, but they always feel a little bit more like they're trying to make a a slightly more a potentially realistic spy story. And and I kind of uh, that's not what I am interested in in my spy movies most of the time. And so so yeah so so far the only one who has a full. 10 out of 10 for everything is, is Roger Moore, but I've only seen one of his, so that could drop. Skyfall is definitely a, a prettiest, maybe, of all the mm. Bonds. It looks great. Yeah. What about you, Doug? Who, who's your favorite Bond? Who's your Bond? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely a Daniel Craig man. I mean, because, you know, because you, you know, I, I, he's so sad, you know, like I really like, <laughs> I, I like action stars who are sad, who are kind of are <laughs> differentiating themselves from the um, diehard brand of uh, action heroes. Right. Um, and I, and I, that's, that's not going to last. Our culture won't tolerate that for much longer. <laughs> but I, I do like that a lot. I mean, the, sort of the next saddest Bond is Timothy Dalton, who only made, I think he made three films, yeah. but he's very bitter um, about, you know, the, having to deal with the, the, a government, you know, British government that sometimes screws him over and about, you know, these terrible things that he has to do. And like, I think that that's a very believable uh, attitude to take uh, when when one is uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, that it, uh, it, it's got to take a toll on you. And I think that as fun as... Um, as fun as the Roger Moore Bond f- uh, films are, and to a lesser extent, the Connery ones, like I don't get a sense that this is someone that has like been in the effing trenches. Yeah. Right. right. You know, like the, I, I need to feel that weight of responsibility and of like these past tragedies on them. That's what I need. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that, I guess that's why I, I like Roger Moore the most, like to, out of all mm. the, the Bond films, his are always the more, lighthearted the more fun the more adventure filled sure, sure. um the mm-hmm. more jetpacks the more crazy yep. villains uh the more uh, awesome henchmen uh the more gadgets over the, yeah more gadgets yes. more crazy car stuff um like all of the like super fun bond things i think are in it it's like you look at the movies like kingsman uh the secret service uh mm. it's like they took that idea of the of the crazy bond stuff and and turned it up to 11 um, mm-hmm. And kind of gave it its own spin. It, it's it's that same kind of sense of just bonkersness uh, that I like the most, and I, I appreciate the the uh, the moodiness of of the Craig films, um, and I, I definitely appreciate the, the look of them from a cinematography perspective. But uh, in terms of the best Bond character, I, I got to go with Moore. He, he's my Bond. Um, so I think we are two to one though, against Dr. No, just because of, uh, our lack of uh, ability to, to recall much about it. Because of apathy. Yeah. So (laughs) we'll have to rewatch Dr. No and, and see, see how it uh, comes back. Do we have to? to? Yeah. (laughs) Do Um, I have to? (laughs) uh, So for now, Devil Wears Prada beats Dr. No. All right. Next up, we have Napoleon Dynamite up against Poltergeist. Yeah. Now, we, we talked about Napoleon Dynamite not that long ago, and, and we all had good things to say about it. The things that 
that that Napoleon Dynamite does are almost impossible to replicate. Uh, and it, it's very uh, much of a standalone film in, in that way. But man, Poltergeist, guys. Poltergeist is maybe the best supernatural horror film ever made. I think it's better than Psycho. I think it's better than Exorcist. Like Psycho's not paranormal. Well, yeah. I get, I'm, I'm trying to think of other <laughs> like straight up horror films even. And name a bunch of films. I'll nitpick them. No, yeah. Go, go um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Like to me, it is the perfect blend of family in peril with just unnerving horror elements and, and, and scariness. Like not even just that it's overtly gory or or anything like that but it's just it's just under your skin uh scary to me um i i saw it um not that long ago uh in the theater for the first time because i had never seen it in the theater and it worked so well um and it, it was funnier than i remembered um like just the the family is such a awesome ensemble in that in that movie i i, I really love it so it totally gets my vote here uh, over Napoleon Dynamite. But what do you guys think? Are, are you guys big Poltergeist fans too? I just saw Poltergeist for the first time like last month, maybe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just just finally checked that off my, my blind spot list. Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was very solid. Yeah. There were, it was interesting to me how it felt. This is, this is maybe a little spoilery, but not a lot. It, it's interesting to me how it feels like it's all wrapped up and then it's not. not yeah. <laughs> but it does oh, it yeah. in a way that like a lot of movies have done that, I'm sure before then, but definitely since then in a way that feels really gimmicky. Mm -hmm. And this time it really, it really didn't. There's still that sense um, that like, you know, that things have gone slightly wrong in the, in the, the casting out. So, you know, that something's going to come back to haunt, to literally to haunt mm -hmm. them. It wraps it up in a really fascinating way. I love the final climactic shot. It's so intense and mm -hmm. so, so well done. That being said, I still love Napoleon Dynamite so much. And it, uh, it, I've talked about it before on the show and, and not that long ago. And I just, I just absolutely love it. So like with all my heart and it's so strange and it's so quirky and it's, uh, it, it somehow is so perfect with that all the way through. It's I'm 90% sure it's in my top 100. If not, it maybe should be because it just brings me so much joy when I watch it. And uh, while I thought Poltergeist was really good and, and very solid and uh, and very. I, I, I agree with what you said about the, the ensemble of the family, like they're just so fascinating together. Mm -hmm. um, so as good as Poltergeist is, though, Napoleon Dynamite just struck a chord in my soul. So I'm going to have to have to vote that way. Yeah, that's these are all really good points. This is a very difficult uh, matchup for me. I mean, I think these are really unique films, unique for their era, unique for their genre. Uh, I, you know, obviously I gushed about Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, I'm not going to pick it here, though, because I think Poltergeist, even though Poltergeist, I think that the, the world, even though the world building doesn't really hold together. I'll talk about that in a second. I think that fundamentally it's a more nutritional film. Like I feel like mm -hmm. it has this deeper thing that yeah. is trying to get at. Um, and whereas, you know, uh, you know, and when I've rewatched Napoleon Dynamite, I'm not like continually drawing out new meaning out of it. <laughs> I think that I'm drawing out new subtleties to the comedy 
a new appreciation for the screenwriting and and the acting. But I'm not I'm not getting I, I'm not coming away with new things to ponder, which I think maybe fundamentally why I watch movies is kind of, I kind of want that. Um, Poltergeist, you know the, the the phenomenon of Poltergeist is something that's always been very interesting to me. I think that the film strays a little bit away from that when it introduces these demons, these television demons, mm-hmm. and and the and of course the animated tree at some point, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like so, it the, the precise nature of the paranormal threat um, is not it, it's not neither consistent nor totally explained, which is fine. It's okay. I will, you know, that's like not a requirement. I mean, that's part of what makes it so unexpected and so terrifying is that we're now outside of any mental pigeonholes that we've put uh, this threat into. Uh, I do wish that it, I think that, you know, I've always wished that it had, you know, figured out some way to kind of stay within, well, just the poltergeist, like just things moving in the house (laughs) like that would have been interesting right like i feel like it's almost it's almost cheating to kind of like oh we're gonna have a scary clown and you know the the daughter's gonna be stuck in the television i feel like these are like you're you're, okay now you're pulling from other subgenres of paranormal horror in order to be exciting and like but the problem is it's it is so damn exciting yeah (laughs) like it's such that they are they're ultimately they're effective uses of these uh, of these tropes And I think I think actually for me, that might be a strength in the sense that so especially especially watching this now, like there are so many we know how the tropes go Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we know, you know, something's moving in the kitchen and people are stacking kitchen chairs and all Mm -hmm. the cupboards are open when you turn around. And like we know the tropes of how to deal with that. And I liked watching this and not being able to pin down what this monster was and what it wanted. And that that kind of kept me a little bit more as a very. as someone who who recognizes the tropes in so many other horror movies, I liked being kept on my toes a little bit with that. And which was, it, it made it feel much more like, you know, like the family kind of being lost in the, I don't know what to do and never left me going, well, obviously if you've seen any horror movies, this is what's going on with your home. <laughs> right. and, and it put me a little bit more in their mindset, just this, this baffling combination of stuff. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I love the, the sort of arc of how the, parents feel about it like in the beginning it's like oh it's it's just it's just this fun thing that we found out like watch this you know watch what happens when i do this and and then all of a sudden it gets a little bit more a little bit more and then they get so jaded they're like oh yeah we don't go in that room anymore and they're like well why not and he just opens (laughs) the door and he's like that's why and it's just like living for weeks in a in a demon haunted house was fantastic yeah it's just (laughs) like they it's find amazing. a way to emotionally cope with what they've got. And, like, well, we have to keep living. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. Like all of the whole family somehow finds a way to not be completely insane, uh, you know, mm-hmm. during all of this insanity, which is kind of amazing to me. The other thing I really like is the very, very end. They, when they check into the hotel and that's like the so sort of the, after everything has happened, it's just been just nuts. And then they go inside the room and then there's a, a beat and then all of a sudden the door opens and the TV just comes flying out. Like, it's just like, we do not want the TV in the, in the hotel room. It's just the perfect ending. It's, it's so good. Um, all right. So yeah, I, I think, uh, 
Poltergeist is going to beat uh, Napoleon Dynamite here. Which is okay. All right. Next up, we have Jurassic World up against Happy Feet. So Happy Feet is uh, a movie about dancing penguins uh, directed by George <laughs> Miller uh, of Mad Max fame. Wait, um, really? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. Uh, he say, he's got a weird, uh, weird au revoir. And he's got like, uh. you know, Mad Max uh, and he's got Babe. And, oh, yeah. and and then he's got happy feet. <laughs> like those are like the, the core pillars of his uh, filmography, which is kind of crazy. I love that. Um, and then we've got Jurassic World, which is the uh, Colin Trevorrow uh, 2015 Jurassic Park reinvention, remake, sequel-ish movie. Um, Franchise movie. <laughs> yeah. Jurassic World is not good. Um, Happy Feet is great. Um, it's really, really strong. Um, and it actually is telling a, a larger story, uh, despite its sort of DreamWorks-ish kind of uh, trappings. Like you just, on the face of it, you would think, oh, it's just another dumb movie uh, <laughs> of its ilk, you know, like uh, Ice Age or um, Shark Tale or, you know, some junk like that. But um, it's actually really solid, um, uh, well-told, uh, actually emotionally powerful. Jurassic World is none of those things. Uh, it's it's kind of just, <laughs> it's all flat. It's all uh, fan servicey and trying to replicate things that don't need to be replicated. And there's just a lot of like unnecessary death uh to the point of n not having any any reasoning for it or, or, or any like plot reasons. It's just kind of bizarre how misguided and, and sort of all over the place Jurassic World is. And, and it's not really even that fun, um, which Jurassic Park movies should be fun. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Is, does anybody like Jurassic World? No. <laughs> yeah, the answer to that is no. No, I think the, the the problem with Jurassic World or the the feeling I got from it is that it was almost it was almost sociopathic. Like it didn't understand the emotions that one is supposed to have when happy things happen or when scary things happen or when someone dies. <laughs> yeah. Like the film itself didn't didn't understand that. Uh it was it it uh, took, you know, it, it had deaths happening in bright sunlight played kind of for laughs and then it had uh you know d children in danger that was played like a fun action sequence you know like so it, it it was just way too uh it was way too light and popcorny and i think people forget that all of the jurassic park films they legitimately played the threat as threatening right i didn't i didn't get enough of that by by no means, um, and that's really too bad. I had very high hopes for it. Uh, I don't know why. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I I'm a huge fan of Jurassic Park three. I guess that's why. Is that JP three won me back after Lost World, and um, and that's uh, and my life has been worse ever since. 
<laughs> happy feet, happy Pete is absolutely charming. I think that it is underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that everyone needs to see it. Uh, yeah, and the, the points that it's making about conformity uh, and about the environment are absolutely solid. Yeah. Um, but even if you just like musicals, like mm-hmm. if you just like mm-hmm. dancing and singing, mm-hmm. like it's it's it, it it aspires to this artistic greatness that used that used to be what animated musicals were kind of all about. Animated musicals were musicals first, animated films second. Uh, and I think, you know, that that spectrum is, <laughs> is kind of degraded a little bit mm-hmm. over the years. Happy Feet is a very strong musical that happens to be told through animation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with almost all of this. I didn't I didn't hate Jurassic World. I just thought it was it was it was kind of OK. And then I forgot it immediately. Um, right. There were a couple of moments I, I thought there were a couple of moments that I liked. Um, but I could not get past how poorly written the characters were. I could not get past how obnoxious they were. I could not get past the, yeah, these weird tone problems where clearly in reality you would be very concerned for some of these people. And it it, it didn't have, it's interesting to think that the original Jurassic Park, which leaned much heavier on the darkness and the scariness of it, is actually a more adventurous film than this right. one that tries to lean into the adventure side of it and ends mm-hmm. up being kind of a horrific upside down version of this. <laughs> and yeah. It's all it's, Spielberg. It's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, Happy Feet is lovely. I am, I, I am always going to be moved at least in some way by, uh, by stories that use music and dance to tell, uh, to, to make their points and to, to convey their metaphors. And I think Happy Feet is a really lovely version of that. It kind of disappeared off everybody's radar. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's kind of, that, that's a bummer because it's actually really solid. And I agree, it's, it's a great musical. I just, it's, it's once, uh, uh, first time through, I remember being a little bit off, off put by its use of pop culture songs, mm-hmm. but it ends up working. It ends up making it, making it something that, that really gels and it really taps into on happy feet is a good description of this movie. It's, it's yeah. very happy and free and joyful and everything that, uh, that I like in my animated musicals. So it's definitely getting my vote. Have any of you seen happy feet too? I have not. No. Yeah, no, I no. haven't either. And I don't know why. Like, we all like Happy Feet, but why did we not see Happy Feet too? Um, maybe it's not as good. I don't know. I, for whatever reason. I definitely didn't hear anything about it. So yeah. nothing to make me think, yeah, oh, maybe I should. It, nothing it looks, that would make me overturn my <laughs> stance on sequels in general. Yeah, it looks like it got mixed reviews and it just barely made its money back. Um, so, yeah, maybe it wasn't so hot. It's weird because it, it's also directed by George Miller and it's. You know, it's the same cast. It's, I don't know. That's, I, I feel like I need to see it just to, to confirm or deny yeah. that it's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, Happy Feet is is totally going to annihilate Jurassic World here. Um, <laughs> Woo. Uh, there's a dance all over it. Yeah. There's actually a, another uh, penguin animated movie that came out around the same time oh, as Happy you- Feet called Surf's Up. Yes, my friend. Yep. Surf's Up came around, which in a matchup, I would pick Surf's Up. Surf's Up Feet. is very good, right? It's amazing. I, it's a- I did not 
get it <laughs> in terms it's, of like I didn't get the hype. But it's a mockumentary. It's an yeah. animated documentary about surfing penguins. It's, oh my god, this is the really height of good. Hollywood. This is why we invented film. <laughs> it's like like nobody ever like what is that? You've invented this new thing. It, it's incredibly profoundly good. Like you, you wouldn't you would have no concept that 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 it could be as good as it is like and and it's mainly i think the thing that makes it is the fact that they put so much thought into how the camera works yes like for an animated movie to look like it was all done handheld and it was all done off the cuff and it's like all of the interviews are sort of like interspersed with the main story and it's and and all of the the shots feel real, like they don't feel like yeah. they were made in a computer. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's such a, a unique and odd duck of a movie. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I wonder why it didn't. Like I, I after I saw it, I I thought immediately like, oh, there's gonna be like a whole bunch of animated documentaries now, right? And it's gonna be real hilarious, you know. We're gonna, but but it really, I mean, th- there was that that series of films, uh, hood, hoodwinked about about you know, which mm-hmm. was kind of similar about. Um, Little Red Riding Hood, but it never really that 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 whole sub subgenre never took off. I guess it was too too many layers of reference and meaning, I guess, to appeal to uh, both normal adults and, uh, like, and I'm, children. I'm trying to remember what else came around at the time because I feel like I saw it shortly after it came out, like right around then, and I just remember feeling completely over the mockumentary trend at the time. Uh, right, so I'm yeah. trying to think what else was like super huge at the time because it didn't feel original to me. It felt I, I remember just thinking that it was. I was like, oh, it's another one of these. It's animated this time, which is a little cool, but it didn't it didn't it didn't stand out to me the way that that I thought it would. And I'm wondering if I like maybe I had just been watching a whole bunch of mockumentaries at the time. Yeah. Or but it was there was for a while in that in that mid early two thousands period when after the office became like everywhere. Oh, you're right. You're totally right. We can blame the everything office. Everything was for a this. mockumentary. And I I think I think I saw it at just the wrong moment. <laughs> It, and was like, yeah. I'm so tired of this just ripping off everything else, just following on the big trend. And it's probably much better than I'd like gearing you guys gush about it. I want yeah. to go back and rewatch it yeah. because it's probably much better if I don't have mockumentary fatigue. <laughs> yeah, we, we just need to all thing. see. We need to watch Happy Feet, Happy Feet 2 and Surf's Up and get all of our uh, our, our animated penguin uh, fixes all at once. Oh, that's, that sounds awesome. It's, it's like a great triple feature, right? Um, all right. So. Uh, Happy Feet uh, beats Jurassic World, and that is it for this episode. Um, but if you're not already a member of Flickchart, uh, head over to flickchart.com and sign up for an account, which is absolutely free, and rake movies like we've been doing all episode. And if you want to follow our chart's progress, you can find us as Flick Fights over on Flickchart. And you can follow us on Twitter at FlickFights and find us on Facebook. And if you want to be a future guest and uh, rank animated Penguin movies with us, uh, send us uh, feedback or, or tell us anything you want about the show. Uh, you know, if you want to say how terrible our, our choices were or if you want to gush about how right we are all the time, just email us to FlickFights at FlickChart.com. And from all of us at Flick Fights, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>